You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi, Melissa. Hey, Elisa. It is now time for episode 370 of Geekiest Show Ever. Yay. And we are a week late, but... We both have good reasons. I was in Florida all last week, and sadly, Melissa had a death in the family. I did. Yeah. I did. It's part of life. How did your trip go, though? We were all like, I was kind of on the edge of my seat, like, oh my God, where is she going to get stuck? Where are you going to get? Did you get stuck? How, how'd it go? Yes and no. Up here in New York, we had a major ice storm last Fri- Thursday into Friday, I believe it was, because mm-hmm. I kept calling, my husband kept calling me. And 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 saying what's going on? What do you, what's going on with your plane? What what's going on? Yeah. And I said, well, the Thursday flights were all canceled. I was in Orlando visiting a friend, mm-hmm. and I kept looking at the flights and the cancel, 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 cancel because I went from mm-hmm. Orlando to Baltimore and then Baltimore to home, and all the flights that were going into Baltimore cancel, 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 cancel. Philadelphia and Washington mm-hmm. and just all of them. Mm. So then my kids were texting, Mom, what's going on? Are you coming home? I'm like, well, I don't know. So Friday morning comes and I had a 135 flight out of Orlando into Baltimore and then a three hour layover and then Baltimore to home. And I'm looking, I'm like, oh, my God, what do I do? What do I do? It's really bad there. Did the airport clean off the runways? I just didn't know what to do because the, the Orlando flight, no problem. Yeah. But I don't want to get. It was like seventy degrees down there, wasn't it? Uh, well, the last two days I was there it was in the eighties. Oh my gosh! And which, yeah, which was great. And I didn't want to get stuck in Baltimore, so I kept going back and forth, back and forth. What do I do? And I have a friend who works at the airport, so I texted him, and I said, "What do I do?" And he goes, "Well, I'm not working today, so I don't know what the conditions are like, but here's a picture of the cancellation board, and every, all the flights were canceled, all the incomings yeah. and the oh, departures. That's terrible." So I, I talked to my husband and I said, what do you think I do? She goes, he goes, if you can stay an extra day. So Southwest, which is the flight, the airline I took, they allowed me to change at no cost. So my friend was like, yeah, cool. You know, because we hadn't seen each other in two years prior because of COVID. I said, is it okay? And she's willing to host you for another day. And I said, is Mm -hmm. it okay if I stay an extra day? And the good thing about that was not only did we have the whole day together, but the next day I have a direct flight home. Even oh, though we had to get flight. up at dark nice. o'clock, because my flight was at yeah. eight o'clock. Yeah, my flight was at eight yeah. o'clock. So we left the house at, I think it was, it was between 5.30 and a quarter of six in the morning. Because mm-hmm. she's a good half hour, 45 minutes from the airport. Mm-hmm. So that part wasn't thrilling because I was just like dead the whole day. <laughs> I was just so tired. What um what were you using to check flights? Like were you using just the app? Yeah, I just use Southwest. Yep, I just used Southwest okay. app on my phone. I kept checking. Yeah. And it, uh-huh. as it turned out, once I decided to change my flight on Friday morning to Saturday, a few minutes later I checked again, my flight home had already been canceled. Oh wow. So I would have ended up stuck in Baltimore yeah. till God knows when. Yeah. So thank goodness for the app. I mean, I, those apps are priceless. Yeah. So it worked out better. Position. So I got to spend yeah. another day with her, and I got a direct flight home on Saturday. So I was in my house by eleven thirty. Wow. You know, I just I remember going on a flight one time where because I turned my Wi Fi back on when they told us we could while we were taxiing on the runway, and 
because I was using an app, and this was, I don't know, what, six years ago, seven, eight years ago or something like that, because I was using the app, I got notified of the gate change before the flight attendants even got that information sent to them to be able to announce it on the flight as we were deboarding, deplaning. And so I was able to be one of the first to know. So I got to the gate before anybody else. <laughs> so it was nice. It was really nice. Yeah, so that that whole that whole debacle right there is the reason why. So my grandmother passed away, and it was you know it wasn't like a huge shock. We knew that this was kind of happening. It was just a matter of like when you know when when's it going to happen, and you know how it's one of those things where you just can never be prepared. Like you try to prepare as best you can, but no matter what you do, you still just can't be prepared. There's just no way to prepare, and. When it comes to flights, you just you have to get those last minute flights. And I, I considered it, but with the risk of COVID and everything else and with my kids being in school, I just I could not figure out how to work, being able to leave, and then also plan and accommodate for getting stuck out there. Because I knew with, with what you were going through, I thought, I'm just gonna end up going through the same thing. I, whatever I decide to do, if I decide to fly out, I have to also be prepared. It's a big gamble. I have to also be prepared to get stuck at that airport or in that state. So maybe I need to pick some place where I might know somebody. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just it was just too much to deal with. And I and I kind of cleared it with my family and there were other ways that I was able to go through the grie- the grieving process and everything. So that's I want to talk about that a little bit um too is that not only do we have all of this frustration with cancellations and 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 bad weather and having to deal with uh, logistic planning when it comes to your flights and things like that that has been disrupted by climate change that has been disrupt- disrupted by covid <clears throat> another thing that's been disrupted by all of this is grief is the grieving process we can no longer grieve the way that we used to grieve you know you used to be able to just get together with people you know hop on a plane get a red eye flight get out there and I don't know. Tell me this. I mean, you know, you've been flying for for a while. I mean, we've always had inclement weather. There's always been, you know, this time of year when there's ice and things like that. But what do you think makes it that much more different that all of the flights were canceled? I mean, was it really that bad? Yes, weather, or do you it, think was it was that bad. It was really that bad. It you was don't think really it was like that bad. Plus, compounded with people being out sick. No, and this was and stuff like bad. That. Because I fly a lot in the winter. I'll visit my friend. I'll visit my aunt who lives in the Fort Lauderdale area. Uh, Years ago, my husband and I used to take cruises in January, which meant flying down to Florida to pick up the cruise ship. We never had a problem. Maybe a delay. You're a stranger to traveling at this point. Yeah, maybe a delay here and there. I mean, if, if you look at my driveway right now, my husband was able to get some of the ice out in front of our garages. I mean, he would, oh, he said he would spend an hour just picking at the garage. Mm. He couldn't open the garage. It was oh my god! It was wow. frozen shut to the ground. Wow! So he would so be way more ice picking, picking, picking. To. And now when we pull out of our out of our garages, we're going uphill because mm-hmm. he got a little bit of ice down to the driveway, maybe two oh. or three inches. But then we're uh-huh. going uphill because there's yeah. three inches of ice on the driveway. So, so ice is the major it, factor. And here. that ice was the problem, problem with the runways, because not only what did you have the precipitation as it was coming down, but even mm-hmm. after it stopped, I don't know what these airports did 
to get the runways clear. And you're talking yeah. airport. I mean, our airport is relatively small, but you're talking about Philly and New York City and Boston, mm-hmm. which, is where I'd have to fly which are huge airports. Mm-hmm. So they have to clear all those runways. Mm-hmm. And it was, I mean, like now the driveway, we've gotten a lot of it clear. And plus it's raining. Like I was sweeping puddles of water that this morning mm-hmm. when I went out, the problem mm-hmm. was some of it would melt. But then you'd have standing water because there was nowhere mm-hmm. for it to go because as it would right. run, it would get stopped by the pile of ice. So I was taking mm-hmm. a broom and taking the water and like pushing it on top right. of the ice and like so hoping that, that it would. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. that's exactly what's happening. Then it turns and you can't buy salt anymore wow. because, wow. The, you know. Oh, really? Yeah. All the salt is gone because now when you go into the stores, it's grills. Oh, my God. It's grills wow. and summersing. You see dirt and mulch and. You can't buy. So the supply chain is another factor because. Well, it's not just the supply chain. It's it's this time of year. You don't buy shovels and snow blowers Mm -hmm. anymore. You're buying grills and, you know, getting ready to plant your Mm -hmm. garden. And that's Mm -hmm. what you see when you go into the store. You don't see winter supplies anymore. That inventory has already been planned for probably two years prior. Yeah. I mean, that's how they do it. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, if you go into the store in July and looking for a bathing suit, good luck with that. Yeah, right. You can get a winter coat in July. You'll have better everything luck getting a winter just, coat than you would a bathing suit in July. Everything has changed so much. So one of the things that I, I don't know how it is in your family, but like in our family, we kind of have an unwritten policy. And this is probably how it is in a lot of families where... When someone passes away, whether it was expected or not, you don't want to find out over a text. And you don't want to, and you certainly don't want to find out over Facebook if you're close, immediate family. So our unwritten, our unwritten rule is that if someone passes away, you call, you know, you make that phone call. And that's part of the processing too, where you have to say it out loud, you know, that that's, the person has passed. And I get it. I get that that's, you know, necessary and part of the process. Um, but what was happening with, in my instance, with, with my family is my mom just got really overwhelmed and I guess she didn't really understand cause she's, she's not, my, my mom's not on Facebook. She doesn't do podcasts. She doesn't, she doesn't do any like the newfangled tech kind of stuff. She just doesn't want really too many parts of it. There's a few things like, you know, I'll help her with her iPad and there's been a few shining moments and, and I love those. And those are just, those are just gems. But when it comes to this kind of stuff, she just doesn't want it on Facebook. So at least not, she didn't want people to find out that way. So between my sister and I, we were like, okay, let's give mom a moment to make the calls. There were a few people that I knew, that I just knew that I needed to reach out to in my way of helping. Like, let me let me help out with this in communicating to some other certain people that we just didn't want. We just didn't feel it was right for them to f- to find out over Facebook. But I had to use Facebook to communicate with certain people because I just didn't have their phone number or if I did, I wasn't sure if it was the right phone number. And you know how it is these days. It's like you call someone and what do you get? Their voicemail mm-hmm. because they don't recognize the number. So they're not going to answer. Right. You know, there, there are certain, maybe it's a generation of people, you know, like my parents, like they'll just answer the phone. I keep telling them they're, they've gotten better about it. But I always say like, don't answer it unless you know, who it is because they're in your contacts or unless you were expecting a call, like say from a doctor, like I would never tell somebody like, just don't ever answer the phone. No, if you, if you know to expect a call, then you should answer it in within that time frame. But just, you know, run of the mill. Like if you're not expecting a call, then don't answer. Cause it's probably going to be somebody trying to get you to renew 
some kind of car insurance or some kind of car warranty program that you don't even own the car for. So you know how that is. So anyway, um, so first day passed, you know, 24 hours. And I thought, okay, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be patient because maybe it's just selfish. But when I observe what other people do, other people and other families, it seems like they don't have this rule. When someone passes away, they tweet it right away. Or, you know, even like when a baby's born, I mean, you, you're excited to share this news and you're sad to share the news. But regardless, you want to share the news. This is news that you want to share. But it depends on whose news is it to share. You know, and in this instance, I kind of felt like it was my mother's news to share because it was her mother. So I tried to just go with that. But then 24 hours passed and then 48 hours passed. And then it was going into the third day when my sister and I were like, my mom kind of wanted, she wanted us to wait. She wanted us, she was, she was going to let us post something on, on social media, but she wanted, she wanted the obituary to be published first. And I was like, that could take even more time, you know, and before we knew it, we did talk about, and she, she kind of did admit that, yeah, you know, we probably should have said something the day before, but we were waiting and waiting and waiting. Meanwhile, I'm kind of sitting on it. Like I, I did tweet something and that kind of helped me feel a little bit better, but you know, to have to prolong and delay your grief because you're so far away and because you're trying to respect uh, your family members' wishes about how information should be shared. Like that was really, that has been really difficult for me. It wasn't as difficult with my other grandparents that passed away earlier because it wasn't that much of a of a delay. But this time it was like a, an extra long delay. And, and then it was getting to the point where like cousins hadn't been notified yet. And I guess it's just because my mom is just so used to, you know, back in the day, you found out that a, that someone passed away because you were reading the newspaper regularly. But people don't do that anymore. Right. People are not getting a physical newspaper anymore. And if they are reading the the digital newspaper in in our age group, I mean, maybe that'll change as I get older. But in our age group, like my cousins and you know people younger than I am, we're certainly not reading the obituaries every single day. I do. You know what I mean? I have for years. Okay. Yeah. Now, why? Why? Let's, uh, let me ask you. Why is that? I'm just curious. I've been doing it ever since I've been is it reading because the of genealogy. Like you're no. really interested in no, no, genealogy. No, 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 because it has huh? no, it has nothing to do with that. You're just morbid. No, just no I've I have found out people okay. like my teachers from high school. I'm like, oh my gosh, she was okay. my high school English teacher. Or you find okay. out someone you know their parent died. So at least mm-hmm. you can go on Facebook and say, so sorry to hear about your father's passing, because okay. they may not post it. So or, I, I'm or just, sometimes I'm you don't I'm see it. The, <laughs> I mean, you have I'm the face, one who just doesn't. Read I mean, you know how you day. know how Facebook is. Sometimes they'll post it, mm-hmm. but you first, you know, you don't see it either because the time of day right. that you went on, or maybe the algorithm isn't showing it to you, or whatever. Exactly. So at least that's you why can I, go, I pinned it to my profile. Yeah. So, so you can go on it. and you can at least mm-hmm. express your condolences to your friends, saying, "Hey, I'm really sorry right. about so and so passing." So I've and plus sometimes I'll read them and it's just. I know this part is kind of more, but when you look and you see, you know, this person died at 42 of cancer. Yeah. This person was 53, yeah. cancer. I'm like, oh my God, this is horrible. Yeah. Like, it's so almost like young. taking the temperature on your on your cohort, your your age group, your people, your area, your demographic. You know, what are people dying of? And, you know, how young are they dying now as, you know, compared to previously. Yeah. So yeah, I can see why it's a little bit of, I guess, a morbid curiosity. Maybe? Yeah, I just noticed at least around here, a lot of cancer, different, mm. you know, various types, it could be breast cancer, sometimes they just mm-hmm. say cancer, but a lot of times they'll say pancreatic cancer or breast mm-hmm. cancer. Makes you wonder, or, like, what's in the water, you know, it's like, wow. 
Yeah. Wow, and these people are yeah. so young. Some of them, some of them were mm-hmm. elderly and it's like, okay. But the mm-hmm. ones that were so young and they leave behind four children, like, oh, that is so mm-hmm. sad. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's people in my cohort, my age group that are, that are having cancer. Now, thankfully, uh, the cancer treatments have really, really advanced and they're able to get a lot more treatment and, and get a lot more quality of their life back and a lot sooner. So I'm really happy about that. But I just thought it was, you know, just an interesting topic to talk about that, that how much so many things have changed, including things that we don't always talk about, which is how we grieve the, the mourning process has been changed and altered because I couldn't hop on a plane and get out to go see my family. Now, that is compounded by COVID. It was it was definitely next to impossible to do. It wasn't for me, it was impossible to do because of the ice storms and things like that because of where I had to go because I had to come out, I would have had to come out east and just, you know, logistics like I can't figure out like how are my kids going to get to school and, you know, I mean, I'm sure we would have worked something out and my husband could have taken time off but he's a teacher you know and then there's like the teacher shortage and then he would have had to take time and another substitute would have had a you know a, an emergency substitute would have had to been put in there and then they're strained and you know it just was such a difficult thing that I was like you know what my grandmother will understand because you know we just had that kind of a bond so it wasn't it wasn't that that bothered me you know I accepted the fact that she had passed on you know we we were kind of expecting this you know not kind of we were expecting this for some time it was just the fact that life is interrupted by all of these these problems that could have been prevented. That's what frustrates me the most. Th- these problems could have been prevented, but they weren't. And now we have this. This is going to be an explicit podcast. We have this shit show. <laughs> it's a shit show. Well, when my father and father-in-law died last year, his funeral was in January. And what we did is between COVID and the fact that there was snow and ice on the ground, we limited the church service and the cemetery service to just the immediate family, the children, the grandchildren, and his his sister. Because the people that would want to go would be in their 80s, his closer cousins. Mm, mm-hmm. And they should not be, I mean, putting COVID yeah. aside, even just ignoring right. that aspect of it, just going out in the snow and the ice and the cold I was really worried about their safety in that mm-hmm. respect. So what we did is we had it streamed on YouTube. Wow. And then yeah, that see, my, way... My family would never go for Yeah, so like then that. that way, anybody who wanted to participate could at least do it that way, watch the live stream. And then mm-hmm. when we went to the cemetery, two of my kids were there, but my middle son who lives in Virginia, he couldn't come up just for that. So mm-hmm. I, I just had FaceTime on and so that he could watch the priest say the prayers and we you know whatever at the cemetery. And so See, for a few minutes, I would have liked something like we that. watched that. But my family is so opposed to that. Like one of the cousins tried to do that before one of her relatives who couldn't make it because they had somebody that couldn't, they couldn't chance getting exposed. And that was like, they were like asked to leave. <laughs> right? But like no, that it's is just not, acceptable in my family and i wish that it was yeah i mean back in 2015 when my uncle died the rabbi called me Hmm. and asked if or no let me backtrack my aunt i think it was my aunt asked me if i wanted to listen into the service this was Mm -hmm. well before covid and well before people did youtube for Hmm. uh, funeral services 
And she said, would, you know, since I couldn't be down there, she goes, would you like to listen in on the service? And I said, sure. So the rabbi oh, called, called, yeah, the rabbi called me mm-hmm. and he just said to me, everything is done via phone. He goes, I will call you or somebody from my office will call you about five minutes before the service starts. Hmm. And that's what he did. So he called me. I put my phone on speaker and I was basically listening in. And as soon mm-hmm. as it was over, I just heard goodbye, you know, and they hung up. Yeah. But yeah. I got to listen in to the service. Right. You got to participate. When my sister-in-law's father died uh, sometime last year, it was the same thing. They had a, uh, I don't think it was YouTube. I forget exactly what service they used. But I was able to watch it through, um, you know, I was able to watch some of the service online. They had a lot of technical glitches. Mm-hmm. So I had to go back and watch it after it was pre-recorded. But they don't show like the casket and the actual person, right? No, this was, this was, they were in the funeral home. I'm not sure okay. if they were in the funeral home or the temple, but they were, it might have been the temple. And mm-hmm. you just saw the rabbis, you know, speaking. You saw people coming up to give eulogies. And then mm-hmm. when it was time to leave, then, mm-hmm. then it turned off. The camera turned off. I was off. told by a family member that the reason why. They don't allow, you know, pictures or cell phones or like we we were talking about this last time with concerts. Like there's reasons for why they don't allow cell phones and there's good reasons for it. And there's also good reasons on the flip side for why there should be cell phones allowed, you know. And I think this is this kind of sort of is in that territory. Like what is the proper etiquette? What what should be allowed and what shouldn't be allowed? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think it's I don't know. I think to each his own, I, I guess. Some people would be really offended if somebody went up there and took a picture of the person lying in their casket while other people do it. And it's just part of their process and it's acceptable. Yeah, nobody did anything like that. They just had for my father-in-law, they hired someone. I think the church hired somebody and Mm -hmm. he set up the camera and the camera Mm -hmm. didn't move. So it wasn't like it was panning. And the same with my Mm -hmm. sister-in-law. The camera wasn't, it was set up in one location and that's, that's the angle that you saw. Kind of like mm-hmm. when you're watching, if you ever watch C-SPAN, it yeah, doesn't yeah, yeah. move. Yeah. So if right. anybody gets out of camera shot, you uh-huh. don't see that person anymore. That's the okay. way it was. So you, you just saw the front of the church uh-huh. and you saw whoever was up there speaking, whether it was the priest or whether it was someone right. coming up to do a reading. That's what the people saw. And that okay. way, the, my father-in-law's friends and relatives who couldn't physically be at the church right. at right. least could feel like they were participating and paying their respects. Right. And that's what I really wanted. But it was just no, it was just it was not allowed to happen. They just didn't want that. I even I tried very delicately to ask my mom, I said, is there any way that somebody could, you know, stream part of the service, the ceremony, you know, whatever. And she said, no, grandma wouldn't have wanted that. You know, she she didn't ask for that. That wasn't in the plans. And I was like, but mom, Grandma didn't even know that existed. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, mean, how could she ask for it when it didn't even exist when she made these plans? You know, but my mom was like, nope, we're doing it by the book. We're doing exactly what she but asked it's for such a, and nothing different. It's really such a good idea. My sister-in-law, a month a month later, got married. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. she's in Virginia, but we couldn't go. And plus, you, had, you still had COVID and whatnot. So it was just, I think, one of his children, I think one of his daughters and her daughter. And her husband. And that mm-hmm. was it. That was like four extra people at the church besides the bride and the groom. And they live streamed it mm-hmm. so that we could all watch. 
And then we were able to, you know, like we were able to like yell into the camera, you know, congratulations, yay. Wow. And she was able to see it right. because my niece would show her the the Zoom and say, look, you know, there's Aww. Annalisa and Uncle Tom and there's so-and-so yeah. and there's so-and-so. And she was like able to go, hi, hi. And then yeah. everybody hung up. But we were able, that was our way of being able to participate in her wedding when we couldn't actually be there. I, I giggled a little bit there because I'm thinking about my so people who know me know that my husband and I married each other twice. The first one we basically eloped. You know, it was kind of this like you know just we were so in love, and I mean it wasn't like we secretly snuck off, and it was like like that kind of an eloping. No, I mean our parent we had the full support of our parents. It was like this is what we wanted to do, and this is what made us happy, and they totally supported it. And then we we decided that we would like to have a wedding, but that. We wanted to get married now because, you know, more for legal reasons. And we just wanted to take care of things because I was moving across the other side of the country, yada, yada, yada. And our version of that was <laughs> we got married in 2004. And that was back when we still had flip phones, the kinds that folded in half, you know. And <laughs> we had a flip phone going with a two-way call. Because we got we got married in the middle of the ocean. Well, not in the middle of the ocean, but like out in the ocean. We got married up in Cape Cod on a, on a sailboat. It was very romantic. It was very cool. It was like the best day ever. It was like it was beautiful. Can't say so much for my wedding because it rained and there was a lot of things that went wrong. But we had this beautiful day that that nobody can take away from us. It was wonderful. But I was missing my my parents. Like our, both of our parents weren't there. You know, as much as we were excited to to do this. Um, it was my my husband's brother and his wife and the pastor who married us and his wife and then the the sailboat captain and his assistant. That's it. And us. That's all that was on this little sailboat out in the middle of the sea. It was lovely. It was just beautiful. It was wonderful. And what we did to share it with our family was the we called, I, I forget if it was somebody's phone. I think it was my brother-in-law's phone or it might have been the pastor's phone. I can't remember what, but we called, did a three-way call. We had my mom on one line. My parents are divorced. So we had my mom on one line, my dad on another, and then Nate's parents on another line. And they were listening in over a speaker phone on this three-way call. And there, I think there must be a picture of it, but there's the, we took the cell phone, remember, because it's a, it's like one of these clunky silver flip phone cell phones and tucked it. I, I, it was either my sister-in-law's idea or the pastor's wife idea. They're very, very crafty and resourceful. And they took the phone and they just stuck it in the pastor's pocket, <laughs> like a like a lapel microphone. <laughs> Meanwhile, I mean, it is windy and, you know, like, so our parents, they could hear us. We could hear them. They could hear basically our little ceremony. They could hear us getting married and they could hear the pastor, you know, and, and saying the ceremony and the vows and all that kind of stuff. That's how we shared our, our wedding, our first <laughs> wedding. <laughs> it's just kind of funny, like how quaint, <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's, it's important. It doesn't, I don't think it makes it any less real for the people who are participating and processing what's happening, whether it's, whether it's, you know, a, a wedding or a funeral. Now, now when babies are being born, you know, that's a whole other thing. Like I remember wanting to have, I didn't like, I, I didn't want my birth videoed. Now I have friends who have had their births videoed, not in a hospital, but like they had a doula and they had a, you know, another situation. But um, even in the hospital, this is, I guess the, I guess the whole theme of this, the whole point of this is like these restrictions that are put in place either by people or by policy that get in the way of people processing an event 
and being able to participate. It almost feels punitive in a way. Like, well, you can't be there in person, so you get punished by not being able to be involved even though you want to be. And it's one thing if the person doesn't want people, if, the, if people want privacy, like if we had, if it had been a different way, like maybe we were private individuals and we wanted to get married, but we didn't want anybody else there. It was just between us and our faith and, you know, whatever, the ocean. But we did, we wanted our parents to be involved. It's just that we wanted to do it a little bit differently because we're just, we're just silly like that. Um, but, you know, back to, you know, the birth situation, I wanted my husband wanted to take pictures. So I had a cesarean birth with both my children, which meant that I was restricted, which meant that my babies had to be carted off and taken away from me. I basically got to kiss their little cheek and that was it. And then they had to like deal with me. Um, When you have a cesarean, you are in an OR. And what happens is because of the environment, it has to be really sterile. So it is extremely cold and you are freezing and they will not give you your baby until your body heats up. Now, now this was back then. This was 15 and 12 years ago. I don't know what it is like now. It might be the same. It might be different. I hope it's different because this is a terrible, terrible thing to happen because it totally interrupts your bonding flow and your process and everything. They would not let me have the babies. I didn't get to see my babies for at least like an hour. I don't know how long the amount of time was passed. And I remember after the first one, I was like, that was terrible. That was awful. Please, you know, tell the nurses, like, I need my baby sooner when when we were going to go through it the second time around. And my husband was taking pictures and video with our our old little Nikon power shot, you know, and (laughs) uh, he was taking videos of Keegan getting like cleaned up and stuff. And the nurse actually told him, okay, you need to stop videoing now because we're going to do this other thing. And I forget what it was. They were going to, I don't know if they were going to like, extract stuff out of his nose or or something i forget what they were going to do but she didn't want him to video that part and it, it like it was explained to him that it was for some kind of liability reasons like there were certain things that they were allowed to take pictures of and video but there were certain things that they were not allowed to and i forget what it was um but it upset me because i could hear the nurse i could hear my husband kind of like you know trying to do his level best to advocate for his wife like you know my 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 wife really wants to be able to bond. She wants to be able to breastfeed right away. And they said, well, you know, we'll, we'll do our best, but she's too cold and we can't, you know, we can't do that just yet. And I just could hear him like just heartbroken, you know, it, like it broke my heart watching the video footage and hearing him trying so hard to advocate for me and being shot down and being told no, you know, and then also like being told, okay, I'm going to have to ask you to stop video, you know, stop recording now. Like, it just was so sad. You know, it's like, I wanted to be able to participate in the birth of my own children as I was birthing them. And I couldn't, you know, I want to be able to participate in a funeral process, you know, in the grieving process. And I couldn't, you know, it's just, those are the kinds of things that I guess I don't like being told no. Maybe I'm just oppositional defiant about that. See, this is where technology is used for good. Exactly. Yeah, that's my whole point. You know, whether it's a YouTube or whether it's a Zoom, you know, if it's a Zoom, then people can talk to each other Mm -hmm. and the little side chats or you can, you know, you can, you know, you can see each other and you can be together with your cousins and your aunts and uncles. What's appropriate? Who gets to decide and, what the etiquette is? I mean, and I don't see it being inappropriate because it's not like the camera is, you know, showing them 
in, you know, like say they were in a car accident, you're showing them, you know, their right. messed up bodies before they went to the undertaker. Right. It's a question of dignity. You know, like you can preserve dignity and still use technology. I think that's I think that's my biggest beef. I guess that's what I what I really wanted to get around to saying showing, is that showing the body in the coffin is not a bad thing because if mm-hmm. you were there in person, mm-hmm. if it was open casket, right, you would go up to the casket to say your last respects. Right. And that's how my family does things. My family does things, you know, kind of like I guess what I would call traditional, but it's not traditional for other people, but traditional for me is defined as an open casket. You know, two viewings, a funeral service, which is then usually a religious service, and then a wake afterwards, you know, a type of meal that's shared by, it depends on the person. I've been to numerous different funerals where sometimes a wake is like anybody and everybody who came to the funeral or the memorial or, or when, you know, maybe people who couldn't come to one service, but then came to the other. And then yes, feed everyone to like some people are like, well, you know, they're on a budget, they can't afford it. So they only invite you know, certain people. It's kind of like treated like a wedding in, in some respects. But that's that's kind of like how my family does it. So cremation is like a whole other thing that I'm only just now getting used to in the last couple of decades. But, but you know, when it goes back to dignity with technology, I think that it's possible. And and you've just illustrated some examples of where it, it totally sounds reasonable for there to be technology involved, and yet it's still dignified. Whereas there's just something about my family, they just don't see it that way. They don't see adding technology as being dignified. So I just, I just thought that was interesting. And and this is not a dig on my family. I'm not saying like, oh, they're, you know, they're terrible people. No, that's just, that's just how they do things. And it just, it bothers me because I'm so far away and I'm kind of like stuck out here. I couldn't get out there to be with them. So it meant that I needed to really change and adjust how I'm used to grieving. Does that Do make sense? Do they realize that this is not, if it goes on YouTube or on Zoom, this is not going out to the internet as a whole. You have to have a link. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if that, you that told be, me that the service yeah. was Wednesday at two o'clock, I can't, I just can't type it in and find it. You would have to send me the link if you wanted me to participate in that funeral service. That's a so really it's good not point, going sure out to the issue. internet at large. That's I'm sure that's an issue. They they only know of technology that it's just Facebook and it's just everywhere and it's public. Whereas they don't I don't think they or they they might know that it can be made private, but they don't trust that it will stay private. So like one person said to me, well, you know, there's no pictures and there's absolutely no video la- uh, allowed because someone else said that that could be leaked, that, you know, somebody could. I mean, it's not like my grandmother was a celebrity or anything, but it, it could this this footage, this this, you know, capturing of this event could get into the wrong hands, you know, and I just thought, oh, OK, and do what with it? I, I don't know. I, yeah. I really don't know. That's just it. You know, I, I, I'm told that these are the reasons why we can't involve technology. But then when I think about it, I'm like, yeah, like, you're right. They probably just don't understand how things can be made private. But then again, you know, on the other hand. They do have the right to be cautious about privacy issues. Um, I, I guess that's what it is. My family's just a very, very private, private matter. I'm, I'm actually feeling a little uncomfortable even talking about my family being private because, you know, what if they listen to this and they're like, why did you air our dirty laundry on your podcast? <laughs> you <laughs> no. know what I mean? But it could be anybody's family. You know what I mean? When you were saying that the phone call after your grandmother died, you wanted mm-hmm. to call people. Yeah. 
when my mother died, I immediately posted on Facebook that mm-hmm. she had died. Now, we had called the people that needed to be called. Right. But the people, what I did on Facebook is I tagged a lot of my mother's relatives, mm-hmm. cousins that she, hasn't, she hadn't spoken to in you know, decades mm-hmm. that I had gotten in touch with all through genealogy. Hey, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm Elisa. Remember me? Mm-hmm. You know, you haven't seen me since I was four years old. So we became connected that way. They were not the people that I would make a phone call to. Yeah, exactly. But exactly. they would want to know that their cousin died. Right. right. And then what they would do is they would pass it on to the other relatives that I don't know, because I would say to them, mm-hmm. let the family know. And then it would go through that. And that's how right. I think that's how we used to find out. To know about that sort of thing and how yeah. they find out. As long as you've contacted the people that really should be told over the phone or, you know, I mean, even before this, it was you didn't call anybody. You went to go see them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that there's it just seems like there's layers of there's layers of communication and there's different um there's different ways to go about it that have changed over time. Like I said, it used to be that you wouldn't call somebody. You wouldn't go tell your sister or your brother or your mother that, you know, somebody very close to them died. You would go over them and say, now I need you to sit down. I need to tell you some news. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But but that has changed to be okay that, um, you know, or maybe it might be a phone call. Are you sitting down? I need to tell you something, you know, or like my dad is always, you know, really the 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 person that delivers bad news the best in my life i just always have remembered um yeah uh i remember him you know always being able to tell me things you know bad news and like being able to deliver it so well you know so that brings me to my next point i was i want i talked about this because i was thinking about you know who gets to decide what is ethical who gets to decide what should be put out there and how it should be put out there and because I've just gone through all this stuff and now there's there's new stuff in the news that we want to touch base on a little bit that's been just irking me. It's just bothering me. And it's this whole thing with this this well-known podcaster called Joe Rogan. And I know so many other people have talked about it and it's not like I want to spend hours and hours on it. I guess I just want to get it off my chest. Like I I guess I don't understand why it's okay for him to be able to go out there and put out this information that's false, that can cause people to get hurt. This, this, dis, it's not even misinformation. Some of it is outright disinformation. I don't want anybody, put, put it this way, I don't want anybody to be censored. Just like, for example, I was telling you, I feel really kind of cut out. I feel cut off from my family when they say, well, you can only do, you can only grieve this way. And you just you're just stuck. You have to figure out figure it out. I don't I don't like it when like why why does it make it okay for somebody to say this stuff? And I don't want somebody to be censored because I don't like feeling that way. I don't like feeling cut off, and I don't want to be censored. But I feel like I am when it comes to family matters. I wish I could just share things, but I can't because I feel like then I'm disrespecting them, and I'll get no end of shit for it depending on what I say. So I have to be very, very careful about how I talk. And then there's people that can just go out there and just say whatever the hell they feel like it. And they're not held accountable. And there's and there's no repercussions from it. Because you have people that will say that's their First Amendment right, which it is not, as far as I'm concerned. Your First Amendment right is means that you can say something, and the government won't come after you. Mm-hmm. 
for example, you can say, I'm a big supporter of candidate A. Mm -hmm. And I could say, oh, my God, are you kidding me? I can't stand candidate A. I'm candidate B. We both have the right to feel that right, way. Right. But if I say things that are not true about candidate A, because I want candidate B to win, then I am spreading misinformation. I don't but have the right to right say to that. Do that. You're, it's still your right I to see, do uh, that. Now, I disagree if I am blatantly lying and I am knowingly lying. Yeah. If I'm mm-hmm. no, now, it's one thing if I think it's true and then we've come to realize that it's not. Mm-hmm. But if I know, like if I said... I know Melissa's cheating on her husband, and I know that isn't true. And I say it anyway. Mm-hmm. I don't, ha- in my opinion, I don't have the right to say that. Right. Well, you have the right to say it, even if it's not true, but you don't have the right to do it in such a way that causes harm. That but causes how, how would it not cause harm? Right. I am lying about you. Right. Now, right. I can say, I don't like Melissa. Mm-hmm. I can say that, and you can say the same to me. Mm-hmm. You can say you're but entitled to your opinion. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But and I can say, and here's why I don't. Mm-hmm. But I can't say things that aren't true. Mm-hmm. I can't say that you're doing something that you are not doing. You know, you're cheating on your husband or you're, you know, mm-hmm. a- abusing somebody, whatever the case may be. If it's not true, you have the right to sue me. Right. There you because go. Because I'm yeah. saying things about That's you when that it gets are legal. not true. Right. That's when it gets legal because then you have the right to turn around and say, you caused you know, pain and suffering, basically, by what you said. Your, yeah, your because other people might go, oh, my God, Melissa's cheating, on her, Melissa's cheating on her husband. Oh, my God, I didn't think she was that kind of person. And then all these people start thinking that, mm-hmm. and it's blatantly not true. Now, what about the fact that, so, so he was quoted as saying the N-word. Now, here's, I, I get so frustrated about this. He was quoted as saying, Somebody put out a clip with like 50 mm-hmm. different times that he said. Yeah, the I saw that. And his excuse was, well, we were just having a conversation or like I was being, you know, I was quoting someone else or something like that. Like someone could take a clip of this right now and say, Melissa's cheating on her husband. And even though it's not true, but we were using it as an example. Thanks, Elisa. <laughs> <laughs> she's but, not. She's not. <laughs> I don't have the energy. <laughs> I don't even need energy for my husband, let alone another one. Um, <laughs> I wish I did. Uh, <laughs> but somebody could take, you know, what you just said and and clip it and then turn it into a whole montage, right? Yeah, yeah. And and say that, oh, look, here's Elisa saying this horrible thing about Melissa. She's an awful person because she said all of these things. And look, she did it 50 times, you know? Oh, but then, you know, and you can say, well, it was taken out of contact. We were talking about it. We were just using it as an example. I didn't actually mean that. It's, I know it's not true, but I just made up something really outlandish because it was outlandish. It, it was, you know, just for the, the, the shock, the shock and awe of it. Like, let's, let's come up with an example that's so outlandish, like someone cheating on their spouse. And let's use that as an example. But then it gets quoted and it gets taken out of context. That's what people are saying. And they're saying that, oh, well, it's it's his First Amendment right to free speech. He's allowed to say the N-word. He's allowed to say it, but he shouldn't. <laughs> you know what I mean? And his apology is weak because now the things that he said years and years ago, I mean, it should it should never be okay, right? It should never be okay. It's never that it was taken out of context. Here's what I take issue with is, dude, he's being paid $100 million. That means 
that he can afford to hire a freaking intern, somebody to go in and bleep that shit out. Mm -hmm. If he wants to say it because he's saying it, he has the right to say it, but we don't need to hear it. Kids that listen to the podcast, people that, you know, of any age that listen to the podcast shouldn't have to hear it. It should be bleeped out. He shouldn't say it in the first place. But if he truly didn't mean to say it, or if it was being taken out of context or it was being quoted, then it should have been bleeped or it should have been removed or there should have been, you know, something. Do the work, dude. Like, do the work. Do the extra work that is required. Is he just using it in conversation or is he using it because he is reading a song lyric or he's reading a passage Mm -hmm. out of a book? You know, or a newspaper article, or, or if magazine I was article, doing or something. That, I would not say the word. I would say. Well, the I understand. N-word. I understand that, but the fact that the fact that there needs to be a bleep, or or if he says right. N word in the first the place, for? like right. I have had conversations, and I have never had the, I'm not, the, the urge. To, I've never had the yeah. cause or the urge. Yeah. Yes, to say that word. I don't think it's funny. I don't think it rhymes with anything. <laughs> So, like I said, the only time I could see that it would be, quote unquote, appropriate, you know, and I put that in quotes, Mm -hmm. reading a song lyric or you're reading from a book and that word is in the book. Mm -hmm. But again, you could get either say N word or bleep, something like like that. Like one time I bought bought the Mark Twain book and I I thought it would be a great idea to have my kids listen to it as an audio (laughs) book. I was I was tucking them in. This was when they were like much, much littler. And as I was leaving, I heard the passage where the N-word was used and it wasn't bleeped and because it, it was the unabridged version. Yeah. And I had to stop. I was like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. And I and I stopped the audiobook and I reviewed it with them and I said, we do not use this word ever. It's never okay. And and then I had to try to see if I could. And, I, and I'm still like at a loss as to really like how to explain it to them. But again, it was kind of like an absolute. It's like, we just, we don't say this word. You know, we can, we can read up some more on it and, and talk about why, but we just don't, we just don't say this. It's not our place to say this. No. But I guess I'm at a loss to like how to make that a child friendly conversation or, or age appropriate conversation as to why we don't say that word. It's, it's difficult for adults to talk about it, let alone to tell kids about it. So I guess my point was, is that, you know, that, that's one thing. That, you know, that's a free speech issue. That's a hate speech issue. I'm glad he apologized for it. I'm glad that those episodes have been removed. They don't bring any value when when that is being spoken that way. He shouldn't have said it in the first place. I hope he now does better now that he knows better, but he really should have known better. I mean, we're talking about a grown ass man. We're not talking about some 15 year old kid who's growing you know what I mean? Who's who's growing as an individual? We're talking about an adult, but even adults need to learn. So I'm not going to make any excuses for it. He did what he did. He said what he said. I'm glad that it's being taken down. I'm, I'm glad he's being held accountable for that. Now, the the other thing that that bugs me as much, if not more, is the whole disinformation thing. The fact that that he's being paid a hundred million dollars and he can't vet he can't well, vet people that come on his show. He can't hire a fact checker. Well, it's not that. that. They look at it as conversation. We are having a conversation. Well, I've heard it is referred to as a on. debate. It's not a debate. Yes, it's, it's a conversation, it's, but it's not it's a, a debate. It's a conversation if you're talking about candidate A versus candidate B. It's election time. 
you know, the I'm for candidate A and you're for candidate B. Let's discuss why one candidate may or may not be better than the other. Mm-hmm. That's that's reasonable. But to put something out there like what some of these people are doing, saying, well, the ho- we, we shouldn't talk about the Holocaust anymore. And some people, you know, because it might make someone upset. Well, that's, that's not a discussion p- anymore. He's evangelizing those people. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, y- y- you need to have. The- yeah, you. he has people on like Robert Kennedy. And he does it is, for the shock factor. He does it yeah, for the ratings. So it's a sellout. He has he has been proven time and time again, Robert Kennedy, to be a purveyor of false information. Right. Time mm-hmm. and time and time and time again. He's not a and doctor. That's the problem. Physician. People are listening and they're saying, "Oh, well, he said this is true, so it must be." Oh, mm-hmm. he said this is false, so it must be. Because mm-hmm. a lot of the people that listen to Joe Rogan do not have the. Um, not the capability, but they just don't have they the... They don't trust, they don't trust th- well, other mainstream no, well, media. Well, it's not that. They don't have the wherewithal to do their own research to say, okay, he told me that, you know, this is the way to go. But I've also heard that we should go this way. Let me do my own research and see what I come up with. Yeah, the whole do your own research, that, that irritates me. I mean, and, I, and I've been known to say it, and I still say it, do your own research. But what that means is... Use look at qualified people who do know how to do research and a variety (laughs) of sources. Do not believe just don't look at YouTube videos Mm -hmm. and say, this is it. You know, and I don't care what side of the of the argument you're on. If you're on the pro or the or the anti, don't just watch YouTube videos and say this is the gospel. Because more likely, more than even most likely, you feel uncomfortable. Yeah, but most likely, if it's a YouTube video, it's crap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, because it's Which, we, whatever side of the argument you're on, you know, for mm-hmm. or against, it's probably crap. Now, there's an inherent problem with that too, because the, and this is the problem with Spotify. Also, I think that, for example, he was given an exclusive contract. That means that he's not on Apple Podcasts. No, he's not on other platforms. And that's the other inherent problem. What is the difference between a platform, a publisher, and an aggregator? Those are fundamentally different things. They all kind of work together. But and I don't even know all of the definitions of them because it is, you know, people are questioning that is is Spotify a publisher? Is it a platform? It's both, right? It publishes media. It um, hosts, I guess you can host with Spotify, right? Do you host or no? It's just an aggregator. You have no, to host more of an with aggregator. somebody else, like Libsyn or you right, know, and then you could like submit that. your podcast right. to Spotify so that you can be listened to. So on it's there. so you it's can... an aggregator, just like mm-hmm. pod, like Apple Podcasts. Apple yeah. Podcasts does not host your media; they just aggregate it for you. Correct. Yep. So you can and you can you have to burn an RSS feed. I mean, they say burn. I don't know if we're going to go into the technicality of why that's called that, but you create, say, an RSS feed. But what that means is that you can listen to that show on any platform in any kind of player. But with Spotify, it's exclusive. You have to use the Spotify app and you can only go to Spotify to listen to it. You can't go anywhere else. It's not provided anywhere else. Like even our show, I think we're on Spotify, but hell if you can find it, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we're aggregated in other places, but we don't have any kind of exclusive contract. But he has an exclusive contract. That means that Spotify represents him or he represents Spotify in a way. I don't know, maybe it's, maybe it's one way or the other. But they have a responsibility 
to make sure that what's being put out there for $100 million should be quality information if it's going to be more than just a bunch of guys talking in a basement. I mean, because that's what he started out to be. You know, he's just he's just a guy, right? He's just a comedian. He's just some funny guy that wants to get together with talk with people. But then that changed. Money changed it. Money changed it. And now he's got all this money and he has all this pull. Hey, good for him, right? That's that's how capitalism works, right? He capitalized off of it all. Good for him. He, you know, a lot of us like aspire to get big and, you know, maybe not that big, but a lot of us aspire to want to have listenership and, you know, get big enough to be sponsored and maybe turn it into a lucrative career. Good for him. He's he's done that. You know, he's done that with not not very much effort when it comes to when you look at how hard other people work. But hey, good for him. But to to then turn it into this this platform for spreading disinformation that's wrong and as harmful. opposed to opinion right he can have his opinion or just conversation you know that i am against covid restrictions or i am against you know whatever that's fine but to say this is why and then give us reasons that aren't true that's and it's not even is. him necessarily doing i mean he does he does talk shit he does say things that aren't true but he's giving these other anti-vaxxers and these other and, and these are doctors that are coming on his show they're board certified they are they're credentialed but for whatever reason whether it's hubris or money or or it's just something in them i don't know what happens they break i don't know what happens but they go on his show he gives them the platform why does he do that <laughs> you know why do you make that kind of choice unless you're kind of a little greedy too you know, what is it? Is it you want you, you you're addicted to the fame? You want that many eyeballs? And it's like it's like Jerry Springer. It's like the Jerry Ugh. Springer of the podcasting world. Do you remember Jerry Springer? Ugh, what the hell happened God. to Jerry Springer? So many people watch that. I couldn't stand it. I was friends with people who love to watch that. I'm friends with people who love to watch reality shows. It, it just hey, if you like reality shows, it's one thing, but I cannot stand it. I don't no, like I don't. the hubris. I don't like the gluttony. I don't like the constant bragging. It's just, it's just irritating. So that was, that was my beef that I wanted to get off my chest that I just don't <laughs> think it's right. And I want to see changes. I want to see, I'm not exactly sure what I want to see. What, what do you think you want to see? I mean, I, I, I've heard this said in a couple different ways that, that replacing, basically slapping a label on bad information, like we're going to broadcast this and it's got the N word in it and it's got, COVID disinformation and it's got harmful information, but we're going to broadcast it anyway. Here's a little label. That's like that's they're listening. never going to do that. Spotify is not going it's to do that. It's been proven to give you cancer, but if we slap a little label on it, we can still sell it in the store. It's still okay to sell it in the store. It's still okay to sell it. We're 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 going to do really hard. We're going to take all this other money, and Spotify did. Didn't they like take a whole bunch of money and like throw it at at other at other uh, places, which you know could have been harmed by the type of things they that took, you said. They took 70, between 70 and 100 episodes off the mm -hmm. air that you cannot access anymore. Spotify, they're only interested in the bottom line. I mean, they're happy right now. We're talking about Spotify. Mm -hmm. So they're happy right now. And, and you know hoping... that while people have downloaded those episodes and they're like, hey, yeah. I got that. I got five of these episodes that and were banned. Because I don't, I, I never liked Spotify well, well, well before this. I tried mm -hmm. it. I did like a three-month trial one time and mm -hmm. I just found it 
Yeah. Hard to navigate. I didn't yes. like it. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if you have to have a paid subscription to listen to Joe Rogan or if anybody who just downloads the app okay. can listen. I really don't know. I don't want, I, I don't, it's so uncomfortable to talk about this, but I'm going to go here anyway. I take issue with the fact that Brene Brown hasn't pulled her stuff. I don't know if that's exactly what I want her to do, but Brene Brown is one, like, she's big, like Joe Rogan. She's not as big, but she's big. Like, she's got a lot of pull. She paused her podcast for a while, and her whole, like, Twitter feed went apeshit. And a lot of people assumed things, and I didn't think that was fair. Like, I didn't see anything. I I tweeted something today, and I still stand by it. I think that Spotify is like a bad boyfriend. Like, you you get into it, you get this exclusivity, and then you can't leave because... You know, maybe you can't afford to, like maybe you invested so much into it and you've already, you've been promised this money and then you've taken this money and promised it to other people. And now if you pull your show, like it's going to cause all kinds of problems. Like I get it if that's an issue, but if it's not, then leave girlfriend, (laughs) pack your bags, stash them at a friend's house and get the hell out of there because it's like, they're kind of like a drug user. They're, they're, they're capitalizing off of Joe Rogan. He is their bread and butter. I don't know. I mean, I get it. Like, you know, here we are, you know, we're podcasters and and we're not getting paid to do this. We do this for fun and we're not paying anything to do it either because it's, it's a playground. You know, we, we are supported by other means. We were supported by Tim, you know, is this is his show. And we're grateful to be able to get on here and, and exercise our free speech rights and, and talk about stuff. And it's our passion and we have fun, you know, but we're not Brene Brown and we're not Joe Rogan. We don't have this huge platform where we have millions of listeners listening to us. And, you know, in the case of both of those people, they're incredibly influential. People listen to Brene Brown because she's like, you know, a self-help guru. She's a life coach. I love her. I, I think she's amazing. I love her show. I don't even want to stop listening to it. I was disappointed a while back. This is why I brought this up because you were saying like, I don't know, do you have to have? No, you don't. Because she has an exclusive contract, same with Joe Rogan, because they have exclusive contracts with Spotify and they don't publish anywhere else, there's no fee to listen to them, but they are they do have sponsors, they do have ads. They might not necessarily have to read them themselves, but they do have ad spots in there. And that's what makes people able to get started in podcasting. You know, they bought, they purchased Anchor. Um, that's a free a free way to get your foot in the door. You know that's that's inherently a problem is is access and the 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 barrier to entry. The barrier to entry into podcasting is pretty high for a lot of people, myself included. Like it's not something with you know with without being on like one and like a half a salary and having kids to support and a mortgage to pay and all these other responsibilities. It's not something that I can justify spending a lot of money on. You know, I have a small business and I spend money on that and I can I can justify that as a business expense and I can claim it on my taxes and yada, 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 and it improves my business and whatnot. But, you know, podcasting is, an, is like a hobby, you know? I'd like to turn it into a business, but it takes a lot of effort, a lot of work, a lot of time, a lot of moving pieces. You have to constantly learn. It takes a lot of work. And people who can afford to pay interns and, and pay a staff, they can do that. That's that barrier of entry that they don't have. There is no barrier for them. They can afford to just kind of jump in and they have the support of people to do those kinds of things. Um, But somebody like you or I doesn't, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's the difference. They have a huge platform. They have the means. 
to make a difference with the words that they say, the guests that they host, they're hosting, they're being hosted, and they're hosting guests to come on their show. But somebody like Brene Brown, like they do their research, they fact check, they, they evaluate people before they have them come on, and then they hold them accountable for the things that they say. Whereas like Joe is just kind of like flies by the seat of his pants, like, hey, this person looks interesting. Let's Jerry, let's Jerry Springer this, you know, let's, let's throw this person in and see what happens. You know, I watched his, his show one time. Remember when we were talking about um, a friend of ours in the past had recommended a book by the the woman who left the Westboro Baptist Church. Mm-hmm. And I like dug in, man. I was like really interested in that. And I followed her and I think she's, I think she's a great person now. I wouldn't have said that years ago, but I watched him interview her and I actually watched that show twice. I was so riveted by it, but it wasn't riveted by it because of him. I was riveted by it because of her. I was watching it for her, not what he was saying. And he was like a terrible interviewer. Like he was asking her questions, but sometimes he would ask her something and I don't even remember what words he said, but the way he said it, I was like, that's skeevy. Like he was just, he was trying to get her to admit something and he was like being kind of flirty and like it was a little sexualized at the time. And I just thought, ew. <laughs> kind know? of like doing the gotcha questions. Yeah. Yeah. And I just thought this isn't a debate. This is some guy, some Yahoo, like some dude just like using his platform and his privilege to to get at people and to stir the pot, you know, and it just, it just irritates me. So I just wanted to get that off my chest. <laughs> <laughs> it's just frustrating. I, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I'm glad that they pulled the episodes. I don't know. Like I said, I don't know exactly what will work. Will it work if they say, okay, here's all this, like I was starting to say, here's all this terrible information that's untrue. We're going to slap a label on it, like like a surgeon's general warning on a pack of cigarettes. Like, don't watch it. You're, you're a grown-ass person. Don't watch it if you don't want to hear it. Okay, fine, I won't. But meanwhile, I may not be watching it, but so many other people are, and they're taking that information to heart because they don't trust science. They don't trust medical experts who have spent their life devoted to helping to try to solve problems. And they don't understand that science is constantly evolving. Yes. What's true today process. may not be true tomorrow. Things change. You know what Things, You know what the problem is? Not enough people have been made to do a fucking science fair project. <laughs> I think everybody, everybody, whether you have kids or not, should do a science fair project, should do a goddamn science fair project. I, I hated it when my kids were having to go through it. Yes, it's exhausting. Yes, it's frustrating. I, you know, I laughed at the joke about how a kid actually made their science fair project about how much parents hate science fair projects. Like, <laughs> yes, that is funny. It is true. It's frustrating. But I will tell you what, for as many times as we have had to do science fair projects, because my kids do go to a STEM academy, so they had to do one every year for several years and times two kids. I can only imagine what it's like for people with like three, four or five kids. But having to do, having been made to do science fair projects is so important. It teaches you so much about the scientific method, about how you evaluate information, how you think critically, and how you can form a hypothesis, and it's okay for it to be wrong. Science is wrong a lot of the times, because that's how science is. That's how science works. It wouldn't be science if it wasn't wrong, <laughs> Science is not about proving facts. It's about coming up with a theory 
and then thinking around it to try to figure out how to solve the problem or how to find out more information about something to see if your hypothesis is true or not. But it's okay if it's not, because the whole point is learning. What mm-hmm. did you learn based on what you researched? So when, when people say, do your own research, it kind of irritates me now because it's like, to me, do your own research is work. It is science fair project level shit, like work, like do the work. That means hours and hours of pouring through peer reviewed studies. That means doing your own experiment, forming your own hypotheses. It's work. When people say do your own research, oh my God, it is such a lazy fucking cop out. (laughs) That's not what, that does not mean what you think it means. Do your own research. It's bullshit. (laughs) Doing your own research means doing a lot of work. And there are professional researchers out there that are doing the work. Trust those people, not Joe Rogan and not his friends. <laughs> That's my message. Trust trust the right people. Trust and verify people. Didn't a Republican say that? <laughs> trust and verify. Yes, trust that the information is true, but also verify it. But it takes work. You I don't know who do said work. it, but yes. I think it was Reagan. Was it right? I don't know. Don't quote me. I don't know. I will have to to do my own research. (laughs) You should do your own research. Go find out who said that. (laughs) Let me say, I will look it up right now. It was Abraham Lincoln. It was on Facebook. (laughs) Trust. Right. (laughs) And. But see, how easy is it? Okay, right there, what you're doing. How easy is it to go look something up? You don't know exactly what the answer is. But you can look it up. It's a Russian proverb taught to Ronald Reagan. Okay, but what, what's, what source are you trusting? Wikipedia? This is Wikipedia. Because <laughs> that's the first thing that comes up in search results. And who funds Wikipedia? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yep, it but, says, an American scholar taught it to Ronald Reagan, then president of the United States, the latter of whom used it on several occasions in the context of nuclear disarmament discussions with the Soviet Union. Oh, yeah, you were right, Ronald Reagan. I, I think it's a good principle to live by, just to trust what people are saying, but, you know, do your own research, but, you know, do real research, like do the work that, that's really required to do it. And I guess everybody has their level of the amount of work that they're willing to put into it, but then you get what you pay for. If you If you pay for that research by doing the work, then you get what you pay for. If you are not willing to really dig in and really thoroughly research a subject, then you're only going to get a surface level amount of information. I mean, even with COVID, like there's even science researchers and, and, and experts and professionals don't have all the answers, but some of them do have all the answers that we can know to date in a certain specialized area. And that's what gets all like sort of teased out and confused and there's not enough there's not enough good uh, public communication about the results of that information. And that's why things are getting so screwed up because then you have podcasters, comedians who turned into podcasters who hosted a reality show <laughs> now have these, these medical doctors on here who for whatever reason have decided to peddle information are they making money off of it? Did they get paid to show up? You know, what what happened there? So I just... That's, that's what I always wonder about, regardless of the topic. If guests get paid, 
Mm-hmm. Or if they're just doing it to it's, publicize themselves. Well, they're getting promoted. I mean, they're they're getting paid one way or another, whether it's by monetary means or by publicity. Right. But I mean, is it something where they say, we'll give you $10,000 to show up, you know, to mm-hmm. appear on our show and have an interview? Or mm-hmm. is it just, hey, are you free on Monday at two o'clock? Because we'd love to interview you on this topic. I maybe have no idea how that works. Maybe that's what should happen when it co- I don't know. I don't know if that's the right answer or not. But maybe that's what needs to happen when it comes to high profile shows like that. Maybe there should be some transparency. Maybe you should be able to just like you could look up the credits and find out who produced the show, who did the sound, who did the visuals, like that kind of stuff. Like there's, you know, you give credit where credit is due. Maybe, maybe there should be some kind of transparency there. I don't know. That probably violates a whole bunch of other laws. No idea. It's not my job. But, to know. <laughs> so Melissa, if people wanted to get in touch with us because they have strong opinions about what we spoke about today, how would they do so? Oh my goodness. If, if you really want to... <laughs> After listening to this, <laughs> we can be found uh, on the web at geekiestshowever.com, where you could click a contact us uh, link and go write us a note in the contact form. We also have a good old school email podcast at geekiestshowever.com. And we're also on that uh, that that website known as Twitter. <laughs> mm. Which and you can believe everything you read there, right? <laughs> uh, give us some feedback. What What do you think? What do you think about What do you think about being restricted? Where do, Where do you think technology can make things more dignified in places where dignity really should exist? If you want to reach out to us on Twitter, you can do it at Geekiest Show. We'll both get that. If you want to reach me on Twitter, I'm at Elisa Paselli One. And Melissa, you can reach at themacmommy.com and all her contact information can be found there. So I think we both now go need to rest. Yeah. <laughs> We've been thinking too hard about these things. Yeah. We need to go rest now. But uh, we do want to thank you so much for listening. We will be back in a couple of weeks with another episode. And until then, please stay safe. Hi, I'm Bart Bouchard, host of the Let's Talk Apple podcast. Every month I gather together a panel of Apple followers and we digest the month's Apple news. Our aim is to step back and take a 40,000 foot view of all things Apple. We're the perfect complement to the many great daily news shows out there. Listen and subscribe at www.letstalk.ie.